Hi, it's Dwyer, gamblersadvisory.com, a free site, bettingangle.us, a free site. It is Wednesday, March 23rd, 2022. Let's talk boxing. Let's take a look at the middleweight division. But first, remember, the opinion you should follow should be your own. Just consider this video to be a second opinion from a complete stranger online. Now, let's just call it as it is. It's a down time right now for the middleweight division. Right? Other divisions are loaded. Right? The heavyweight division, quite frankly, is loaded. We're here looking at two different fights. Joshua against Usyk. Tyson Fury against Dillian White. There are a lot of guys in that heavyweight division who are on call. In other words, Luis Ortiz on a good night probably beats Anthony Joshua. Right? Just understand, you have Michael Hunter out there. You have the guy who I feel is the future of the heavyweight division, Philippe Ergovic, right? At least for the next three or four years, right? You have some young guys who feel they're ready right now, who have sparred with people like Tyson Fury, right? Big baby from Houston. I'm keeping an eye on you. You're on my list. Light heavyweights flooded. You have Bevel about to fight Canelo. I think he beats Canelo, right? I think that's one of those bets. Right now you're getting Bevel for better than three to one odds. Right, folks, if he beat Joe Smith, I believe he can beat Canelo. Right, you have Joe Smith. You have Arthur Berturbiev. By the way, those two guys are going to face each other. We'll get to that fight in due course. Just understand that Berturbiev was recently on the canvas. Joe Smith is a puncher. We'll talk about that fight another time. Obviously, welterweights flooded. Right? You still have Errol Spence. You still have Terrence Crawford. You still have them not fighting each other. You have Ugas threatening to crash the party. You have Jaron Ennis, who is on the very short list of the very best young prospects in boxing. You have Virgil Ortiz. Let's face it. They're covering up the severity of his health problems. But when he's right, wow, he's one of the best young lights in the sport, right? Obviously, you have talent at 135, right? Cambrosis has a full fight card, doesn't he? There's Devin Haney. There is Lomachenko, right? Let's just say other divisions have a lot more going on. Gervonta Davis, 135. Other divisions have a lot more going on than what's happening right now at middleweight. I was glad to see Jamal Charlo, unbeaten, the hitman, one of the champions at middleweight, on the Mike Tyson YouTube show. Of course... I was happy just to make sure the brother was alive because he's not doing much in the ring. This is the Swen Aki type of unbeaten record, right? The people around him seem to be doing a lot. 
including his brother. Right? You have Canelo. He shows up. He's fighting people like Golovkin twice. Danny Jacobs. When Danny Jacobs was Danny Jacobs. How come Charlo couldn't get in on any of that action? How could Canelo just hit the middleweight division, fight all kind of guys, then move on? Meanwhile, you're looking at Charlo and you're thinking, man, this dude's been at middleweight for a long time. How come... How come he's not fighting the great fighters, right? Then you have guys like Demetrius Andrade, who's moved up to 168 now, and he's there for years. And you're thinking, oh, obviously, Charlo and Andrade are going to eventually get in the ring. And no, they're not. No, they haven't. Right? Jaime Munguia is in the division. You think, well, clearly Charlo has to think, well, Munguia's unbeaten like me. He's a force. He's beating all these guys. Let me hop in the ring with him. And, of course, we start hearing about this network wasn't involved and that network wasn't involved. Look, man, sports fans don't care about that. There comes a time when you understand that a fighter is not taking the big fights. That time has come and gone for Jamal Charlo. He's in his 30s now, folks. He's in his 30s. Let's talk about Jaime Munguia for a second. He's improved a lot, right? The old Jaime Munguia was, quite frankly, defenseless at times. He's what I call a mid-range hooker. He comes in, his power shots are predominantly hooks. You get the feeling that if you can tilt him, and this is easier said than done, if you could tilt him onto his back foot, he wouldn't look like himself. He wouldn't know what to do. Right? Sometimes, too, Mangia would throw punches. He wouldn't have a plan B. He'd be there in the pocket ready to get hit, and he'd get hit. Fortunately for Munguia, he has a chin, right? Well, just to understand, he's unbeaten. He has a lot of consecutive wins, but there does come a time when fight fans are looking at a guy and we say, hey, I don't care what the record is. I see the holes. Right? This guy still has parts of the game that he needs to learn. By the way, that's why it's even more disappointing that a guy in his 30s like Jamal Charlo didn't call out Munguia and sign on the dotted line to fight him. Understand, you want to fight these lions when they're young, when they're learning, when they don't quite know what they don't quite know. You don't want a guy who has potential to actually realize that potential to start looking at his own films and saying, man, I was wide open there for counters. To start to say to himself, you know what? I need to develop a back foot. What happens if I'm hurt against some guy who has his own front foot? Right? You don't want that Munguia in the ring with you. As I've said, he's improved dramatically to me. In the last few fights, he still has a way to go. Well, let's talk about 
a guy who has just arrived, just arrived at middleweight. I did not put his name in the title of this video because I want people to hear it here and then research the guy. He has just arrived at middleweight. He's come up from 154, right? I'm not someone who's patient. When I see a lot of talent, knowing that the odds makers, the people in Vegas, the people in the UK are going to make this guy an underdog because they're going to understand this guy doesn't have the experience of a Mangia or of a Jamal Charlo. Right? I'm just telling you right here, March 23rd, 2022, that I would take Hamza Shiraz. Again, Hamza Shiraz over both of the names I've just named, Mangia and Charlo. Right? I think this guy is real. He's 6'3. He's tall. He has a back foot. Right? He has a back foot. Even though he's tall, he knows how to use his body for his advantage. So when you come inside on him, he'll lean. Now, truth be told, I would prefer for him to be leaning out the gate. He likes to keep his chin in front of his feet. But when you come inside, a different guy appears. A guy who leans backward, who understands he's 6'3", who wants you to lean across his body to find him. And while you're doing so, this guy has timing. He can shorten his punches. He'll hit you with counter hooks. Now, he just fought a guy, Jez Smith, who, truth be told, isn't that good. But, wow, that first knockdown, folks, look at it, rewind the film. Just understand that as Smith jumps in, Shiraz is able to lean back, throw a hook while maintaining his balance. Understand, too, this is a guy who knows what lateral movement is, right? He can move laterally, unlike slugger Jaime Munguia. Right now, one of the reasons why I could fearlessly say that I would take him against Charlo or Munguia is I would expect to get better than plus 150 odds. People don't know who this guy is. Don't be one of the people making that mistake. Right? Understand, the old guard always overstays their welcome. I know it shakes people up when I'm talking about guys like Jaron Ennis. And people say, well, isn't he in the division with Crawford and Spence? Right? Yeah, I'm mentioning Jaron Ennis because Ennis arguably already belongs on the pound-for-pound pound list. Right? In terms of ability, not experience, right? These are young guys, but the young guys are in the building. In terms of technique, you can spot the stars.
Shiraz, who's fought exactly one time. I'm not making this up. One time at middleweight during a down period for the middleweight division already belongs on the short list of people with a viable chance of winning the title. Let me just tell you how bad middleweight is right now. I saw that Jamal Charlo interview with Mike Tyson. Now Tyson's there, Tyson's old school. Tyson's there urging Charlo to call out somebody. Right, call out somebody, say, hey, you know, and keep in mind, it's an easy call out. You have Golovkin, who if I had to name one guy at the top of the division right now, it'd be the 40-year-old Golovkin. You have Golovkin about to fight Ryota Morata. Right, call out that guy. I'm telling you, in the 70s, <laughs> fighters would show up to fights. Right, a guy like Charlo would understand that being champ meant he would have to be ringside in Japan at the Golovkin Murata fight just so he could call out guys after the fight. Right, a guy like a Tyson Fury would hop in the ring. Right, to say, hey, I'm here. I want the winner of this fight. Right, make it hard for the promoters to. Get in between you and the fighter. Make the fans understand, hey, you know, this guy is ready to unify. Well, you know the rest. Mike Tyson was more enthusiastic about calling people out, and Mike's in his 50s, than 31-year-old Jamal Charlo was. Right? Tyson interviews tend to be animated. I find myself dozing off listening to Charlo be a politician, saying, oh, you know, things are different now. Oh, my team is looking this way. And, you know, look, understand, in the 1970s, I could tell you, there were fighters with excuses who didn't want to fight the big names. Right, so just to understand, Charlo doesn't have a deal to fight Golovkin, doesn't have a deal to fight Murata, couldn't close a deal to fight Munguia, Folks, you know, at a certain point, you have to write off the title that a non-participant has, right? He's not going to push himself. A guy like Shiraz, understand, the time to fight him, the time to fight Munguia is now, before these guys get maps of the area, right? You want to... <laughs> You want to fight the guy when the guy's young and he's just learning and he's just getting his feet wet. That's when you want to fight the guy, right? As I said, Mike McCallum understood he needed to fight Julian Jackson early in the 1980s, and McCallum was dominant. McCallum gave Jackson his first loss, right? Had he waited a couple of years, oh my goodness, that would have been a different deal entirely. So here you have a guy who, even though his stance isn't what I'd like, he leans over. You have a guy who, when the bullets start flying, is different, starts leaning back, allows fighters to invade his space because he understands 
he's bigger than they think he is. Right, so you jump in on Shiraz, he leans back like this, and, you know, guys are a little bit shocked at the lean. Then, of course, because they're shocked and unprepared for it, they're open for Shiraz's counters. This is a high-level guy. To me, he reminds me a lot of Thomas Hearns. People need to realize that the Thomas Hearns you saw at welterweight went on to win the light heavyweight title. Right? Shiraz now is at 160. He's too big for the division, even though he's only had one fight. He's 6'3". As he gets older, the weight's going to come on him. This is a guy with so much talent, he'd be competitive at 168. Now, there are storm clouds out there. Kelbrook looked dominant. I was surprised. Right? I picked Khan in the fight. Kelbrook looked dominant against Samir Khan. Now, let's remember that Kel Brook fought Golovkin at 160. Right? Kel Brook, according to reports, is having a problem trying to get down to 147. Right? I get the feeling that Kel Brook against Shiraz would be an interesting fight because Kel Brook is experienced. He's fast. He's very fast. Right? And he's the kind of guy who could try to make it a point to get inside like he did against Amir Khan. Right? I think Kel Brook would give Shiraz problems. Right? I believe guys who can get low understand height sometimes is a detriment. A guy who could get low, Canelo. Right? If Shiraz decides to go up to 168, a guy who could get low might be able to get underneath Shiraz. But understand, this is a young guy who has legs. Let me say this too. And you don't see this that often. You look at the guy's hand speed and you think, okay, well, you know, this guy has decent hand speed. You don't feel like you're looking at, you know, an Ali you know, or a Pacquiao, uh, or Hector Camacho when it comes to hand speed with him. But then you notice that on counters, and when the bullets start flying, again, I'm telling you, a different guy appears. Suddenly you're noticing hand speed that this guy might be, and I don't know this, I'm speculating, but if it's true, it's outrageous. This guy might be hiding his hand speed for counters. In other words, his hands pick up so quickly. Right? You're, you're watching him and, you know, at first he looks lumbering. Then suddenly there's some quickness in there when you're open for a counter left hook. I think this guy's hands are faster than you think. Also, I looked up this guy's amateur record. Wasn't good. According to BoxRec.com, I think he was 0-1 or something as an amateur. How is that possible? Who was he fighting in the amateurs? I don't, 
It's like, what gym was he in? Was he fighting Terrence Crawford as an amateur? How 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 was this? How did this guy get losses as an amateur? Right? So I get the feeling this guy really is a ringer. Whatever has happened in the past, the guy is here now, he's unbeaten. I would take him over Mungia. I would take him over Charlo. I would encourage both of those guys to give the fans a fight. This guy's unbeaten, folks. There's a buzz about him. Right? If, in fact, uh, Charlo is elite, he certainly talks about himself as if he's elite, and if he wants to show us that he could destroy an up-and-coming young fighter, then take on this guy who's three inches taller than him. Right, who has a pretty good back foot. Charlo, at his best, is a guy with accuracy and volume. Try to do that against this guy. Show us the holes in Shiraz's game. Easier said than done. I'd take Shiraz over Charlo. I'd take Shiraz over Munguia, in part because of the staggered odds I'd get. Let's just say... The only guy I'm hesitant in taking Shiraz over, I take him against Murata, is Golovkin, right? And it's an indictment on the division that a 40-year-old is the best in the division, right? And we're not talking about heavyweights, where that's a different age constellation. Middleweight, Golovkin is the only guy who I would worry about. Shiraz against because Golovkin is unorthodox and can throw from distance and is hard to read. That's how I see it. Let me hear from you the highlights of Shiraz against his opponent, <laughs> Smith, who wisely threw in the towel. Think about it. A professional fighter's corner threw in the towel in the second round. Right? Think about that. Right? Those highlights are in my favorites folder here on YouTube. Again, the guy's name is Hamza Shiraz. He's a star. Let's just quickly name some future stars in the sport. Right? I think Jaron Ennis is dangerous. Virgil Ortiz, I think, is dangerous. Shiraz, I think, is dangerous. <sighs> Body puncher at 154. I want to say Edison. Um, he is dangerous. And, of course, you know where I stand on heavyweights. Right? Very tough fight coming up for him. But I believe Philippe Ergovic, the animal, is very dangerous. Folks, the next generation is already in the building. Pay attention to them. That's how I see it. Let me hear from you. I hope you leave your comments in the comment section of this video. Thanks for stopping by.